For those of you who don't know me, I'm Rick. I get to minister at the River Campus. Today our beloved pastor and his wife are, are not here, and I pray they're resting and relaxing where they're at. And I said, for those of you who don't know me, if you're, I'm here on Sunday nights, and every third Wednesday night I'm here, but if you only come on Sunday morning, this is the first time I've been here on Sunday morning in almost two years. That's hard to believe. Did you miss me? All right. Well, this morning, I pray I say something where you'll still miss me. Or hopefully something where you won't say, I sure am glad he's gone. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible. We're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning, and I mean it when I say it, The battle is over there. We're in such a weird spot in history. People call good bad, bad good. We have gotten to such a messed up spot, we're not even sure anymore what a guy and a girl are. Holy cow. There's been issues throughout history and we have a tendency to want to know where to fight I come from a long line of fighters I like to fight ask my wife then ask her who wins but if you know where to fight good if you know how to fight great but if you don't realize that you're in a battle in 21st century America, you're nuts in Jesus' name. So right now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, let's take a few minutes this morning to let God's Word speak and let God's Word encourage and let God's Word adjust us, if that's okay with you. Let's pray. Your word, Lord. I'm thankful for that word. It tells me what I should do. It tells me what I shouldn't do. It tells me what to do in case I did what I wasn't supposed to do. It's rich. It's powerful. It gives us direction when it's dark. He gives us hope when we're hopeless. So today, Lord, let us mine a little bit in your word. Find some gold. Teach us all something today that won't just be information, which is great, but a holy application that will change our lives. So God, we will give you the glory by our attention, our holy participation, and our admittance that you are right in all your ways and we need to conform to your standard. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. 
All God's people said, Amen. Amen. I am so glad you're here. I want to welcome all of you. I want to welcome the River Campus. I said I'd wave at you. Here we go. And I want to welcome all the people online who are watching around the world. It's a, we're a blessed church in that we get to reach a lot of lives. I hope you never take that for granted. Are you in 1 Samuel 17? Good. Are you familiar with the story of David and Goliath? Do you know, I knew this story even before I was saved. Did you? I was getting out of high school, but I knew this story because it had all the best parts in it. Even as a child, I thought, this would make a great movie. You got the bad guys on this hill, right? Got the good guys on this hill. And they don't know what to do, and you've got the big old ugly pumpkin head giant over here with the bad guy. And somewhere between here and there, there's no way the big guy loses, right? Because he's got all the strength. He has all the confidence. He has all the backing. He has all the right weapons. He has all the stuff it takes to win, right? Then along comes the little shepherd boy with a rock. This would make a great movie, wouldn't it? So what I'm going to do for you today, and I'll, I will ask you to do this. If you don't mind marking in your Bible, every now and again I'll give you a key word to underline in your Bible so you can carry this for the rest of your life. It's helped me. The other thing I want you to do is get in the habit of doing something I think will help your Bible study immensely. If you're studying through the Bible and, and a word just jumps out to you, Circle that word. You may find yourself coming back to it. It may be what God is trying to speak into your life today. Now, if you were to see my study Bible, you know what you're going to see? A lot of circles. Because sometimes you'll read the same scripture again, and what you'll see is something you didn't see the first time. You know what I'm talking about? God, God will be imparting that wisdom to you as you spend time in this word. Don't rob yourself of letting God speak. Amen. So what I do know is when I say this, this, this morning, it's strictly about a few basic things that I would hope that every Christian has a handle on. There is a God that's all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful. He carries every good thing you can think of. He's eternal. He doesn't change. He's God. Can I get an amen? amen? On the other hand, you have an enemy, and he's not in your favor. You don't have to write this in your notes. I would hope that by default you figured this part out. The devil doesn't like you. You are not going to get a Christmas card from him. You're not going to get happy birthday wishes. Happy birthday, Cindy. My wife's birthday's today. Everybody wave at her. There you go. Yay! Somebody puts up with Rick. I like it. So you've got God who is for you, Satan who is against you, and then you've got you in the middle. 
Now I bet, and I'm not thinking I'm risking being wrong here, I guarantee you that some days, biggin, you feel the power of God in your life and you feel like you can move mountains like that last song we sang talked about. Am I right? Then there's those other days where your faith packed its bags and took off to parts unknown. In fact, it might be like you today. You may have some issue with your family, your finances, your job, uh, somebody you love that's just a knothead. It could be any number of things. Fill in the blank anywhere you want to. It may be the way the government's run. It may be the government's not run the way you want it run. It could be anything. Fill in the blank. The bottom line is this. You spend a lot of time wringing your hands, wondering, how can I overcome this? Am I talking to the right people? Well, in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, 17th chapter, the entirety of this story is about how incapable man is, how incapable the enemy is, and how capable God is. Now, here we go. Your first spot here, and what I want to do is read a bit of Scripture, verses 4 through 7 in 1 Samuel 17. You there? Say amen. amen. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. Goliath sounds big, doesn't it? We even use the term today. Goliath means something that's really big. I mean, you never heard of... of I've even seen the thing called a Goliath beetle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That thing's huge. Bugs are scary anyway. We don't need big ones. But Goliath means large and in charge. It says he was their champion of the Philistines. Philistines are the bad guys. You with me? Somebody say Philistines are bad guys. Yeah. Now, you can take that scripture already if you want to, and what I want you to think of going forward as we're making this personal, fill in your own blank where the Philistines are, whatever your bad guy happens to be today. That champion of the bad guys. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass on his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. You know how big that is? I don't know either. It's big. It's bigger than the average spear, or he wouldn't have mentioned it. And the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before it. So he has all this gear on, and it's a lot of gear. And he has a character that's walking in front of him, probably struggling under the weight of a shield. 
Now, per the biblical idea of what this guy looks like, I'm going to set up what the enemy looks like. He's big. Six cubits and a span. A cubit is the distance from your middle finger to your elbow. It averages about 18 inches. And a span is the distance of your hand, this part of your hand. So that means, because some people are a little bigger than others, that on the low end, he was about 8 foot 5. On the tall end, he's about 9 3. Now, I don't care where you come from unless you're him. That's tall. And I've read some commentaries that go out of their way to say, well, he probably wasn't quite that big. Well, then I'll look at the armor and I start getting some ideas about how big he must be. It said he had a helmet of brass. Now, I can imagine... Wearing something of solid brass that's thick enough to protect my head, that's probably pretty heavy. It gives us an actual weight on his coat of mail. It says it weighed 5,000 shekels of brass. That's about 126 pounds. Now, I was telling some folks that God put on my heart years ago as a memorial from a dad to a children. Each one of my children gets... Uh, the armor of God. Now, some of you may remember when Kayla was still here with us, they displayed her armor, a uh, part of it, out front, that Roman armor. That was actual battle-ready armor. And when you encase yourself in that stuff, you feel invulnerable. Aaron's, though, doesn't have, it's not Roman. His has chain mail. And I had to order this special from India. It's not the budded aluminum like you can get for cheap. This is riveted each link riveted carbon steel and it's heavy and uh, that coat of mail that I got him is uncomfortable to wear at 26 pounds so can you imagine somebody carrying around the weight of a of uh, 126 pounds just putting it on like a coat I'm sure that that's exactly how you want to run into combat right The iron head of his spear weighed somewhere between 16 and 20 pounds. To give you some idea, to put that in perspective, the average sword weighs about three. This guy could do some damage, couldn't he? In fact, I read some commentaries that said that if you put all the armor and armament together, it would end up weighing maybe as much as 400 pounds. And then you can put all that on and then fight. I can imagine if I put it on and stood where I was and wait for somebody to come to me. <laughs> and the other thing I, I, I had thought about was this. When they said, well, he, he really wasn't like eight or nine feet tall. Look, look, if he was this tall and had 400 pounds of armor, I'm intimidated. Okay? I mean, I bet if you had the, the monster midget 
who was ready that goes out there and makes a challenge for anybody to come fight him in your arm like that and you can move around? I am looking for somebody else to fight. Not that guy. You know what I'm talking about? And here he is. So here's the thing I want you to start with. Your first bullet point on here. Know your enemy and how he operates. Know your enemy and how he operates. Well, you know what we have going on in this story is the big, bad Goliath challenging anybody that isn't as big and bad as he is. Now, when he puts out the challenge, he knows good and well because of his track record that whoever fights him is going to lose. The Bible says that he was a warrior from his youth. He's used to fighting. He's used to winning. The fact that he is there means he's won every fight, doesn't it? So he is so used to winning that he figures that there is nobody that can ever challenge him that will make any difference because whoever comes in front of me goes down. Hey, Now, the, the giants that, that you're fighting look just like that and act just like that, don't they? It's, it's so easy for us to believe that too, isn't it? But you know, knowledge is a wonderful thing. If you know how the enemy operates, maybe you can do something different than everybody else does, and maybe that will work for you. But the first thing you've got to understand is who to fight. You know what I see people do? You fight each other. You fight your spouses. Now, especially when you get the most scared, you will lash out at the person you're the closest to and fight them. I know I could get a witness on there. You know, we just got through with the thing about marriage. I guarantee you that's happened in every marriage. When you get upset about something else, you will lash out at the person you love the most just because they're there. Then you have to apologize later. Because when you get scared of the enemy... It paralyzes you. You would rather fight somebody your own size, biggin. Good luck with that with you. But if you know the enemy has this in his camp, if you know he's a liar, if you know he's strong, if you know he runs the risk of outwitting you, then, then at least you know what to expect. See, I can, I can deal with the giant as long as I know who the enemy is. It's when I fight everybody but the enemy that I have issues, right? So you've got to know how he operates. And you know what? The Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Is that true? Yes, it is. Here's your next bullet point, by the way. The enemy is bigger, badder, and more deceptive than you are. Isn't he? And you don't run the risk of being smarter than the enemy. But I know someone who is. If you 
fight the enemy in your own strength, I can guarantee you this. There will be one more notch in his wind column. Because the first thing you have to learn is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. You are never going to honor God with your fleshly response and you're never going to scare Satan with your fleshly response. Amen? Here's something else you can expect. Always expect the enemy is going to be good at what he does. I think I told you guys before, my grandmother taught me that. You know what she told me? Rick, you can say something good about everybody, even the devil. She had my attention. He is always on the job. He is very good at what he does. Well, that's intimidating, but it's true. If he wasn't like that, he wouldn't be a problem for us, would he? He's deceptive. He's a liar, the father of lies. And number two right there, don't expect him to fight fair. Now, if I have the guy out here that's nine foot tall and got 400 pounds of armor, been fighting since he was a young man, has never lost a battle, and he says, tell you what I'll do. Why don't you just pick somebody to come over here and let's just fight this out mano a mano. Let's just fight this out. Because I, I know you're the people of God, right? Well, any one of you should come over here and i tell you what we'll do. I'll make a deal with you. If you beat me, then all of us are going to serve you. If I beat you, all of you will serve me. It sounds nasty when you say it like that, doesn't it? Because the enemy knows if he can just get just the average human, TJ, if he gets you up here fighting on his terms, guess who loses? Guess who also loses? Everybody you love. Everybody that you care about. Everybody you were fighting for because you can't win on your terms and he is not willing to fight fair. He's such a devil. I don't like him. Anybody here like him? I'm sorry I offended you. No, I'm not. I'm glad. Look at this. Verse 8. He stood and cried, this is Goliath, unto the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? Don't you recognize who I am? And you are the servants of Saul? He was wrong there. Here's you one to underline real quick. Who's your king? Who's your king? God is. He didn't say they were servants of God, did he? He said they were servants of who? Saul. Well, that's misplaced allegiance. You have only one God and him only will you serve, right? Now, he may have been correct when he said, I'm a Philistine, because he was. But he was wrong when he said, you're servants of Saul. But he kind of used the deceptive part again because he reduced it and got it away from God. He made it about men and not God. He's such a liar. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Hey, there's no need in everybody dying today. Let's just bring it down to a couple of us. Right. Yeah. And you know what I see in verse 11? I see with a challenge from a monster like that is what you get. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were what? Dismayed. And were what? Greatly afraid. I, I know there are people in here today that are afraid. You're afraid about tomorrow because you know, don't know what's coming. Because all your issues are giants. There wasn't a single man in the army of Israel that wanted to go down in the valley and face that monster. Now they had on the right clothes, didn't they? They, they were dressed for fighting. They had their weapons. I'll even go farther. They had practiced with their weapons. They are a trained army. They're not just plowboys that picked up a weapon. They were trained to fight. But guess what? They were trained to fight people, not that thing. It's a terrible thing when you're scared, isn't it? It's a terrible thing when you feel overwhelmed. In fact, in so many ways, it, it takes your faith and it shrivels it up like you uh, had left a tomato out in the sun too long. It's just dry and dead. Fear is the opposite of faith, by the way. So what we need, I've said this many times. Do you know, in a church this size, how many people of faith do we need to start with? People that will trust God. People that will not blink when the battle comes. How many do you need that changes everything for everybody else. I need one. Just one. We have an army of the fearful and we got one faithful on the way. We've got a king for crying out loud. I, liked, I, I pointed this out before. Here you have Saul. If you go back and read, he was the first king of Israel. What separated him when they picked him from everybody else? Y'all remember? Because he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was their giant. Did you ever think about that? He looked like he was the guy that was big and bad. And if you go back and, and read in, in 1 Samuel, you're going to find that he was a mighty man in battle. He, he was a humble at his beginning, and he knew how to fight. He knew how to win. And as long as he was humble before God, he did. Until. Until. You know what the, one of the biggest turning points in his life was? I'll give you two. What's the first point in Saul's life that, that was significant? The day that people called him out to be a king when he was humble. What's the second biggest day in his life? This day because he failed because he was trusting in his own strength and not God's anymore. 
I just nailed a bunch of us. Because I, I bet if you think about it right now, think of all the times you've wrung your hands and say, I don't know what to do. I can't deal with this. What about letting God deal with it? And maybe you were wringing your hands thinking, I guess I've done all I can do. Well, maybe there's your problem. How about letting him do all he can do? That can change everything. Amen. Fear is the enemy's chief weapon. When he gets you afraid, when he gets you fearful, it's kind of over. You know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I tell you something else, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is not fear. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, is power. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, is a, is a magnificent area of strength that can't be beaten no matter how many cubits that is. You know, one reason I think that God chose David is because he wasn't big and bad. But he trusted God. You may not be big and bad, but if you can learn how to trust God like David did, then the giant's going to fall. Every time. And guess who gets the glory? God does. The very reason that God left you on this planet, if you are saved today, is to bring God glory. Did you know that? Otherwise, he could have just saved you and whoop, right to heaven you would have went. So while you're here, however long this life happens to be, if you operate and become mighty in spirit, which is not making me strong, but is allowing him to be strong in my life, it will not only inspire me to do what God's called me to do, it will inspire everybody around you. Spiritual giants. You may think that you've never had a problem, nobody else has ever had a problem in their life like you've got. You're wrong. There is nothing that's going into your life that hadn't went into other lives before. The only difference between you and them is how you're going to respond today. Are you going to say, I trust God's strength or I trust the strength of the enemy? If he can make you afraid, it says he's like a roaring lion. You ever heard one roar from up close and personal? It'll test you. It will. Because it's not a meow. No. It's a boom, big like that. And it just make you step back and your eyes get big and your heart, you know what I'm talking about. Because what? You're all awake now. That's good. Because the purpose that he roars for is to paralyze, to make you easy prey, so you won't even be smart enough to run when it's time to run. Devils, he doesn't fight fair. But if you know that about the enemy and know how he's going to operate, you that's wisdom, isn't it? So knowing how the enemy operates is important. Let's, let's look at this. Know yourself and how you operate. 
Here comes David, little old shepherd boy, youngest in the family, got the nasty job. You know, we think of shepherds, and there's this pretty picture in our mind of dealing with sheep. But whoever got the job of shepherd had the lowest job on the totem pole. Did you know that? Sheep are interesting. They will go just about anywhere and do the wrong thing. They'll eat poisonous plants. They'll wander off cliffs. They'll drink poison water. You know why? Because they're stupid. So you have to have a shepherd. Imagine this being your job for the rest of your life. I'm going out in the field with these stupid sheep, and my whole job is going to be to get them away from this or don't eat that. Or I just described the job of your pastor. Pray for your pastor. But that's his job. That's all he does. Is he in the army ready to fight? No, he's out there with the sheep. The sheep are defenseless. They have to be protected, right? I mean, there's no training you can do with sheep to make them tougher and meaner. There are no ninja sheep. If a sheep fights... He loses. Did you ever think of that? If he's the one doing the fighting, he loses. He's not prepared to fight. I guess what I'm saying is you aren't either. Know yourself and how you operate. Uh, here's the first thing you need to do if you want to know yourself. Uh, don't let people frame who you are. Do this. Ignore the doubters and the cowards. Ignore the doubters and the cowards. Look at God's word again, verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this? I like his identification. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his elder brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. I wish Eliab's anger was kindled against Goliath, but no, let's get mad at baby brother. And he said, Why came thou down hither, and, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep? Don't you know you're a shepherd? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I done? Huh. Then David turned from his brother, who should have been protective and loving, and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again the, the former manner. Doubters. You know what doubters will do? When they doubt themselves, they'll, they'll go ahead and doubt you too. You know why? Because it makes them feel better about themselves. Do you know what cowards will do? They'll hide, act like they didn't know what was going on, and then blame you for cowardice. Here's you some spiritual truth. Ignore them. Your life will be full of people telling you what you can't do. Your life will be full of people trying to tell you that your motives are wrong. 
I am so thankful David didn't listen to his brother. I'm glad he didn't listen to his, uh, the people around him because, you know, they were speaking out of fear. We already know where they stood. And it's not just those guys. Look at this. Verse 31. When the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. He's the king. And he sent for him, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Hey, guys, you know what David said? In other words, fear not. Thy servant will go and fight with these Philistines. Hey, wait, not this soldier, this servant. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against a Philistine to fight, for you're but a youth, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Tell you who should have been fighting is Saul. Because he gets jealous later, doesn't he? You know, Saul even offered his own child to marry whoever would go and fight. You ever think about that? Hey, I tell you what, guys. Whoever is willing to go down there and fight, I'll give you my daughter. That makes you a part of a royal family, and I'll make sure you have great riches. What do you think? Who's ready to go? Hear the crickets chirp. Because that wasn't enough. But if God told you today, hey, what about you? Isn't it a good day to get up and go and fight? Uh, wait a minute. You get something too. God's riches and glory belong to you. And I tell you what, the way to you embrace how the greatness of what God has to offer you is, is to be willing to be in the front line of the battle, not telling somebody else what to do. It is uh, interesting. Ignore the doubters and the cowards. If you ever met anybody in your spiritual life that's never spiritually went anywhere, find you somebody else to hang with. I need the encouragement of, of those that have trusted Christ, not those that talk about it. They're not the same thing. You want to be inspired to serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? It is not going to be from the academic who tries to tell you, well, I've been studying the Word of God, and it says we ought to do this. So if you feel like it's a good idea, go ahead and do it. Forget that. Live. Every day you get out of bed, the enemy should tremble. She's awake. Amen? Here's something else. If you know yourself and how you operate, ignore the doubters and cowards, but also do this. Remember the past victories and who won them. You see, if you're used to depending on God and you know who won the victory, great! You've just almost put yourself in a position to trust God a little bit more. Some of those prior victories may not have been very big. Now, in, in David's case, it's a pretty interesting thing here. Verse 34, And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose again, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. 
Remember your past victories. There should be no way shepherd boy beats a lion. There's no way that shepherd boy beats a bear. Right? There should be no way that we got a lion attack and a bear attack and the lion goes down, the bear goes down, and the lambs are saved. But he says he delivered them out of his mouth. Do you think God did that or did David? Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And living God is important. Underline living God. Underline living God because I am telling you, most of us operate like God is dead. We go through a religious exercise and we like being together, but we don't act like there's any real power or any real influence or any real input into our life by that God. God is alive today. And he's God enough to meet you where you're at, to use you just the way you are, and to let you be the tool he uses to slay a giant. I like that. There's something just wonderful about a kid saying, I'll go and fight. Because it didn't occur to him he'd lose. You know, after today, if somebody asked him about his next battle, he could go back and say this, I got a lion, got a bear, got a giant. What you got? Because after this, you can bring on anything you want. Now, was David a perfect man? No, but the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. You know why? He trusted God. Did he blow it many times? He sure did blow it many times. And he would repent and ask for God's forgiveness, just like we do. A man that's after God's own heart or a woman that's after God's own heart is not somebody that's perfect. It's somebody that recognizes how imperfect they are and how wonderful God is. You can take that and live the rest of your life and will hear the Father say, well done. Remember your past victories. Think back right now if you would. You remember some times when there was no hope and you decided to trust God? You remember when there was no food on the table and God provided? You remember that your situation was hopeless and God got you not only through it but prospered you through it? He will. He will. Because when you get holy bold like that, that is what genuine confidence looks like. It says, I don't care what I see, I am walking by faith. It's easy to walk by faith when there's no adversity, isn't it? It's easy to walk by faith when it's all talk and I really don't have to Prove myself that I trust God. But when you're going into the valley against the giant and everybody behind you doesn't believe in you and everybody on the other side is looking forward to your defeat, that takes a special level of godly I trust you. Here's the other thing I want you to remember too. We try to fight like people when we have spiritual battles, don't we? 
You ever get in fights when you were a kid? I did. Won some, lost some. And yet, I'm the only one, right? If you ever got in a fight in school, can I see your hand? Was it because you were offended or you were defending somebody's honor? It could be any number of things. But you know what? Don't be afraid to fight. You may think that fighting is a sin. Godly fighting is what leads to victory. Learn who the enemy is and fight him. With the power of God, he'll lose every time. Do you know when it says in the book of James, resist the devil and he will flee, means fight. And guess what he does? Runs like a scalded dog. Which is a good spot for him. We're going to be running in a minute. If I hurry up. Here's the one too. Fight the way the Lord taught you to fight. I got 17 seconds. I can do the next four pages. Saul armed David with his armor and he put on a helmet of brass upon his head. Hey, just like Goliath had a helmet of brass. And armed him with a coat of mail, just like Goliath had a coat of mail. Huh? And David girded his sword upon his armor. He has Saul's helmet, his armor, his sword, and it said he assayed to go. You know what that means, literally? He tried to move with it, and he couldn't even walk around with it. Guess why? It ain't, it's not his. It's not his armor. This is now not how God taught him how to fight. He did not have any armor on when we got bears and lions. You know what he had? Got a stick and a slingshot. I can guarantee you, if you're going against a nine-foot giant that's got 400 pounds of armor and weapons on, and you beat him with a slingshot, God will get the glory. Fight the way the Lord taught you. Don't place your confidence in the things of man. Here's the other thing I've actually thought about. Why did Saul give David his armor? Maybe from a distance that people think that Saul went. You ever think of that? While he was hiding in his tent. So it says he assayed uh, to go, but he couldn't, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I can't go with these. And, and David took them off. Well, good for David. And he took his staff in his hand. Is he used to his staff? That's what he has to use every day with knot-headed sheep. He, cho he chose five smooth stones. You know why he got smooth ones? He found out in all those years of shepherding and taking out bears and lions, guess what? They fly better. Now, I, I, I thought this when I was reading this. Some liberal would say that was not fair because that was a high-capacity slingshot. No. He took five smooth stones and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, and he put the sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Here's the enemy over here. All of these other people who say they trust God are standing and watching, being challenged and shaking, and what does he do? Let me get rid of the armor. Here we go. I got my stick. I got my slingshot. 
That doesn't sound spiritual, does it? What's God put in your hand? What, what weapon of warfare is in your hand that no matter how you use it, God gets the credit for it? Huh. Huh. i got to hurry. Choose your weapons wisely. Hey? Here we go. If you know how the enemy operates, know how you operate, here's the part that I think is just going to sum everything up. Know your God and how he operates. Verse 41, the Philistine came on and drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and and ready and of a fair countenance. I guess he would have been better if he was an ugly guy. I don't know. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? That means you're bringing a stick to a sword fight? Huh. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Here's you, here's you, here's you something good. This one's free. This point, let the bellowing of your enemy fuel your fire. When he is acting like he's all big and bad and can take over your life, let him and let it just take your spirit and fire it up. Amen? In fact, when you get that kind of fire, it's very motivational. Because that means your faith is on a high note, your fear is on a low note, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to talk back right. Look here. Make sure the enemy knows who you stand for. Verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine. I've heard what the enemy had to say to me. made fun of me. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. And I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand and I will smite you, whoop you, beat you, and take your head from you. And I will give your carcass and the host of your friends to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into my hand. Yeah, that doesn't sound like somebody shaking in their shoes. Do you think David was, I mean, Goliath was impressed with little David? Probably not. He's beaten worse. He's beaten much better. But David does something next that I think is phenomenal. Because David, uh, Goliath was not expecting this move. Number three, in faith run towards the battle. In faith run towards the battle. We always think in terms of retreat. Forget retreats. Faith moves forward. 
doesn't it? It came to pass, verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened. He picked up the pace and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine because he was anxious to go ahead and take Goliath down. It never occurred to him that the giant was going to win. What he saw, I am hurrying to the victory. I'm in a hurry to get to the spot where the giant falls. And then I'm going to stand on him in the name of God and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. You don't get to win today. Run towards the battle. You've got to fight your, your running from right now. Stop. Turn around and in the name of God, face it and eliminate that giant. Amen? And it says, verse 49, David put his hand in the bag, took him a stone and slang it. I like that. That sounded like something Brother Jackie would say, slang it. Like when you sing, he tell you, I sang it. Well, this is a slang it. You ever seen how one works? You got a little leather pouch here, got, got two leather strips here, and you've seen those people go, woof, 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 wink. That's normally how you miss. What you do is one big whiff. It's like, wham, woof. That sounds like that would hurt, doesn't it? And, and you know how he got that practice? Because when the sheep are good, you had plenty of time to practice what you're trying to hit. God set him up in a situation that led up to this point in his life to make sure that when, when I get the right person in the right spot and he slings the rock, I know exactly what I want to have happen today. It says he slung it. No, he slung it. And smote the Philistine in the forehead. He should have put him a little brass plate right there and he might have made it. But he was armored everywhere else, just like he normally would be for battle. But David lets fly, it sinks into his forehead, that hoits. And he fell upon his face on the earth. I, I remember hearing my brother Thurman Henniger uh, preach from this text before. And he was talking about, when you, any of you ever been hitting the head really hard? I have. If I ever get bald, I'm going to look like Frankenstein's monster. I, my head's been sewn up seven times. The hair covers it up. I can never look as good as Brother Benny. But, but <laughs> here, when you get hit in the head, I normally don't fall that way. I normally, uh, I mean, I don't fall forward. I fall this way. Because if you hit yourself, you go down. You, I might fall sideways, I might fall backwards or over here, but I'm hardly ever going to fall on my face right? If you, I've been hitting a head with a rock hard enough to sink in good, I'm probably going to fall that away. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Brother Thurman said probably what happened is David in faith let go with the rock and God was standing right behind Goliath. So as soon as the rock was on his way, he made sure Goliath was in the right position. Now, back of the head. On your face. Guess who saw all this happen? Because it got even better. He ran up there and, and, and Goliath is down 
But it's one thing to have the enemy down. You really want to make sure he's down for the count? Take his own weapon and cut his head off. That'll be a lesson for another day. Take the enemy's weapon and cut his head off. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they ran like scalded dogs. They were all confident as long as they got their Goliath. But man, what could they do? They didn't have a shepherd. <laughs> Guess what? The enemy saw it happen. Guess who else saw it happen? All those fearful doubters and cowards. Number four, share the Lord's victory with the weak-hearted. The men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted. I bet they did. Because they didn't expect that. And pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. That, oh, by the way, that's a Philistine city. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shaaraim. Uh, yeah, we're on the way to Philistia. Even unto Gath. That's where Goliath is from. Because guess what? We're going to run them all the way back there. And guess what they're going to be able to tell everybody in Goliath's hometown? You ain't going to believe this. Goliath is down. He's dead. We got his body, but his head's gone. <laughs> and last but not least, number five, let the world know whose son you are. Amen. This may be my favorite part of studying this. Verse 55, and when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, who happened not to be fighting Goliath either, Abner, whose son is this? And Abner said, As thy soul lives, I can't tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you? And David said, I'm the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I got a question for you real quick before we get out of here. We've talked about fighting. That's good. Hmm? We've talked about knowing who the enemy is. That's interesting. We've talked about knowing who you are. And you need to know that. And we know who God is and the victory He can bring. But I guess I've got one more question. And as they come, come ahead, guys. Whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? Because when it comes right down to it, when you win that victory that's going to inspire somebody else, guess what's going to happen? Guess what's going to happen? Somebody is going to ask you who you are and whose you are. I remember going on visitation many times with Brother Gene Castleberry. And he had a he knew everybody. And he would say something. After somebody talked for a minute, he would say this: Who's your daddy? Well, I got the same question for you today. Who's your daddy? Now, if you say you're human parents, that's a good answer. I'm thankful for that. But don't leave here today without being able to answer it this way. There's my father. There's my father. 
Do you know him? I'm going to say something and I mean it when I say it. The fight's coming for you whether you love the Lord or not. But if you are not on the Lord's side, you will, side, you will lose these battles. You will fall and you will fail and you will wonder what happened. But he whose life is hid in Christ will never be ashamed. You can't lose. Whose son are you? Stand with me if you would. You know, David had to make a step, had to get off the hill. And as our ministers come down right now, I'm asking you to get off the hill. Don't be afraid of the enemy. He's a loser. But if you want to be on the winning team and you want to understand what victory in Jesus really looks like, then don't be ashamed to step out from where you are and come right down here and, and pray with these men. It may be that you've been a Christian for many years and honestly, the life you've been living has not been a life of faith. It's been defeated and backwards and you sometimes get away from God's people because you're worried they're talking about you. Get past all this. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you would with me right now, bow your heads. Close your eyes. Lord Jesus, Do you know, with all our questions, we'll never give ourselves great answers, but where you are is the perfect answer. I need you more. I need you to face down the giants in my life, to be preparing me even now for the battle that's in front of me that I haven't even imagined yet. And when it comes, because I've trusted you and my faith is growing and I go through the small battles and get to the big one, I will have a testimony of faith and I will be able to share that faith with others. I'm saying this is where I was and this is when I was in the valley and God got me through. So Jesus today, be a fear-canceling God and change us forever to be people of faith and trust and holy boldness and victors. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, why don't you come?